0: I hope that you will turn with me in a Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And our focus this morning will be on verses 1 to 9, 1 to 9. We're continuing to look at the nature of the church, of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we emerge out of a pandemic and we're regathering, we need to know what it is that we are regathering to do and to be. What is the church? And we've spent several weeks in John chapter 3 looking at how the church derives her very life and existence. And we saw that no one can be born as a Christian. No one. No matter how long you've been In the church, no matter how Christian your parents were or are, no one is born a Christian. We can only be born again as a Christian. Born from above, born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives life to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and who gives life, new life, to you and to me when we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the next thing we need to ask. How then do we grow as individual Christians filled with the Holy Spirit? And how does the church grow and thrive? And I believe this is one of the most urgent issues facing us today, both as individuals and as the church. Capital C. Because So often, we fail to remember that we all, when we are born again, enter the Christian life as infants. We all begin as infants. Do you realize that? To be sure, some of us have grown up in the church. We have a lot of head knowledge. We know the Bible. We've been memorizing Scripture as long as we can remember. We can't really remember a time where we didn't really believe in God and then others are brand new to the scriptures. Either way, when it comes to spiritual growth and maturity, we all start at the same point as infants, as babies. We all need to grow. God wants you, he wants his church to grow and to mature. To grow and to mature. How does that Happen. Well, it has nothing to do with your age. There are plenty of people who are up in their years who are spiritually babies. There are people who have a great deal of intelligence. They're brilliant. But when it comes to spiritual truth, they don't get it. And it's because this isn't about intelligence, it's about obedience. Spiritual growth and maturity is about obedience. But so often we can be afflicted by a version of what is called failure to launch syndrome. Are you familiar with this? This is when children, young adults, fail to grow up, (laughs) fail to move out, they fail to adjust their lives, and assume adult responsibilities. They're still living at home. They're still acting like they are dependent on their parents. And a similar thing can happen to Christians and to churches. A failure to launch where we have not grown, we are not growing, and we don't really care whether or not we are maturing and growing. But God wants us to. And so with God's help today, here's what I hope to show you. I hope to show you that God measures spiritual maturity, your spiritual maturity as an individual and our spiritual maturity as a church, not by what you know, not by what you know, but by how far you are willing to go in surrendering your life to his sovereign will. It's not about how much you know. This isn't about intelligence or intellect. It's about how far you and I are willing to go in surrendering our lives to His sovereign will. That's what it comes down to. Because we have the Holy Spirit. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. But are we living like we have the Holy Spirit? That's the question. And what we have, by God's grace, in 1 Corinthians 3, is the Apostle Paul addressing Christians. They are Christians. They have been born again. They are part of the church, but they aren't living like it. They're stuck. They're immature. They aren't growing. It's a failure to launch. So let's read these verses together to see how God wants us to grow and mature, beginning at verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy And quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. We all start at the same point. We all start as infants, right where the Corinthians are. And there's no fault in that. There's no shame in that. That's how it is. The problem is when we're stuck there. And Paul is saying here, That the problem is stunted growth. The problem for the Corinthians and for us so often is stunted growth. We've got to be constantly vigilant against this stunted growth. Paul's saying, I would like to be able to address you as spiritual people, but you're still worldly. And the word that he uses for worldly is of the flesh. You're still too human. You've received the very Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit living in you, but you're not acting like it. You're not living like it. You're stuck. I wish that I could address you as spiritual people, but you're still in diapers. It's time to grow up. Tabernacle, it's time to grow up. It's time for all of us to grow up. We cannot remain stuck at this point. God wants us to mature. He wants us to mature. And we need to understand why this is such a problem. Why is it so dangerous to remain at this point? The problem is that when you're stuck here, your life is malnourished and underdeveloped. Malnourished and underdeveloped. You have the very Spirit of God living in you if you trust in Christ, if you have been born again. Think about that for a second. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you and in me. Do you realize that? Do you understand the one who is living in you? To, to think about just how ridiculous this is, imagine you're still riding a, a tricycle. When you've been given a license to drive a car, you've been given a license take here are the keys. Take it. Crank it up. Go! Don't just ride your tricycle around in your diaper. It's ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Do you see how ridiculous this is? And we know how disgusting this is. I think it was on TLC. You heard of adult babies? Ever heard of adult babies? If you haven't, you don't even need to. You don't even need to. Don't Don't even look it up, but you probably will anyway. It's disgusting. It's ridiculous. Adults who are still drinking from bottles, still in these giant cribs, and we see that, and of course, TLC launches something like that because, of course, we have to look, right? But we know it's ridiculous. God wants more for you and me. But when it comes to our spiritual life, so often we don't realize that. We don't realize how infantile we are in the faith. We're stuck. Our growth is stunted. But remember this. When Paul says, I, I would love to be able to address you as spiritual people, but you're still too worldly. You're, you're mere infants. I gave you milk, not solid food, but you weren't ready for it. You couldn't handle it. You're still too worldly. What he's saying is the problem is not so much a lack of apprehension of the truth. It's a lack of application of the truth. The Corinthians know a lot know a lot. It's just they aren't applying what they know. And you don't have to read very far in Corinthians to see it was bad, like really bad. Like the Corinthians don't know that it's not okay for Christians to visit the local brothel. Well, that, That should be obvious, right? No, for them it wasn't. They're not applying it. They know all about Jesus. They know that he's died on the cross for their sins. They know that he's alive and risen. But they're not applying that. Paul told them, but they're not living it. They don't understand that it's not okay to get drunk at the Lord's Supper. Like really bad. A failure to apply but this is so important because we may think that what Paul's talking about is some higher level of knowledge. So that, well, if if you get a PhD in theology, well, you must be spiritually mature because you know so much. You know your systematic theology. You have the Bible memorized from cover to cover. No, no, no. That is not spiritual growth. That is not spiritual maturity. There is only one wisdom, and it all hinges on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And you can never, ever get beyond this wisdom, ever. We can never outgrow the cross, but so often we think that we can. Well, I know all about the cross. I know he died for my sins. Let's move on to something more interesting, Oh no, there is only one wisdom. And let's just relish how this wisdom confounds the very greatest of human intelligence. If you go to chapter 1, verse 18, here's what Paul says For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased. God was pleased. Underline that. This is what pleases God. This is what God wants. This is what makes God smile through the foolishness of what was preached it pleased god since human beings since since we fail to acknowledge god as god it pleased god to intervene to send his one and only son to live the righteous life that you have not lived and will not live and to have him stand in as your substitute to assume the penalty that you and i deserve Do you see how foolish this is in the eyes of the world? You're telling me that a Jewish man who died in the first century as a criminal somehow affects me now in 2021? What? And and you're telling me that this message, this message that I'm proclaiming right now is God's way to save sinners, that's exactly what I'm saying, and it makes God smile. (laughs) Because it overthrows and frustrates human ingenuity, human pride, human arrogance. We can't take any credit for this. And Paul says that when he came to them, in verse 17, he came to preach the gospel not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He says, I'll come, and if you think me a fool for preaching this, I don't care. This is how the gospel derives its power. Some people say, show me a sign. Show me some miraculous sign. Some say, no, let me think about this. Let me try to analyze this. Let me try to fit this into an intellectual framework. No, no, this all begins in surrender. Surrendering to this wisdom to say, I could never have concocted something like this. This is all of God. All of Him. And I don't care what the world says about it. This is how I came to be saved. And remember this, the same message of Jesus Christ and him crucified that saves sinners also sanctifies sinners. You never, ever get beyond this. Don't ever think that the cross of Christ is too elementary for you, that it's somehow beneath you, that you've somehow advanced beyond this, oh no, oh no. This is the gospel. We never get beyond the gospel. Amen? We never get beyond the gospel. But when we try to, when we think we know better, well, this is when we suffer from a failure to launch. This is when we have stunted growth. That's the problem. It's time to grow up. But how does Paul know that this is the problem. Look at verse three. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus," are you not mere human beings? So the problem is stunted growth. The symptoms are childish strife. Childish strife, quarreling and jealousy, picking sides. I'm on Paul's team, I'm on Apollos' team. Now, you probably know who Paul is, but who is Apollos? We're told a little something about him in Acts chapter 18. We're told that after Paul was in the city of Corinth, a thriving commercial Greek city, After he worked there, labored there for 18 months, he left, and we're told that this man, Apollos, came. This is in Acts 18, verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures, literally mighty in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John And so evidently, after Paul leaves, Apollos arrives, and some Corinthians are saying, well, you know, I'm glad Paul came and everything, like we needed to get the gospel, but wow, this Apollos, you ought to hear him in the pulpit. Wow. I I want to tune into him every week. This guy is eloquent. He's got great illustrations. He's so creative. Wow. I'm on his team. I want him to come back. He's got my vote. And then others would say, no, no, no. Paul came first. I think we should stick with him. Childish strife. And how do we know when this same problem afflicts you and me and this church? It's very simple. Two words. Personalities and preferences. Personalities and preferences. This is what it all comes down to. When God's people start arguing about personalities and preferences, this is when our growth is stunted. This is when we are failing to mature as God wants us to mature. Personalities and preferences. This is childish. And we can take it to another level by asking what is it That's so childish about this. Why is this a problem? And you'll recall that sometimes children are highlighted as an example. Jesus did this. He said, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. But what he means is that unless you come in a helpless way, unless you are totally dependent upon your heavenly father, you don't know the first thing about the kingdom. But the scriptures also point out some problems with childishness. And it's no fault of children. This is just how we are. This is how we come into the world. But when you find childish strife, you find conflicts over personalities and preferences, what you'll see is instability. Children are generally unstable in this sense. They lack self-control. They lack self-control. They're victims of their mood, whatever it happens to be. Victims of their circumstances. You give them a toy, they're happy. You take the toy away, they cry. Instability. And also an excessiveness. They react excessively to what comes their way. Again, no criticism of children. This is just how we are. We need to name this. Excessive reactions overreactions. Again, just notice how children can change on a dime. They're happy, then they're crying because they're tired, they're hungry. Every parent knows this. And it's exactly what Paul warns against in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter four, verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there, by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instability. Is there stability in your life? Or if you're honest with yourself, you say, well, you take this out of my life, afflict me with this trial, I don't know how I might react. Lack of self-control, excessiveness. There's also gullibility. Gullibility. You can convince children of just about anything if you present it in just the right way. No criticism of children. This is how it is. And God doesn't want his people to be gullible, to be tossed here and there. One preacher says this. Another preacher says that. We go here and there. Whatever happens to be the fad At any given time, gullibility, an inability to to test, to sift, to say that's false, that's true, to test the spirits, to say that's of God, that's not, gullibility. And along with this gullibility, you know, there's also kind of a, a dislike of learning, the child who starts piano lessons wants to be able to play the full music. They, they want to play at the highest level. But anyone who's learned to play an instrument knows it is slow growth. Slow growth. It is diligence. Repetition. So also in our spiritual lives. We want to be a full-blown, mature Christian. It doesn't work like that. God forms Christians, mature, growing Christians, moment by moment, one work of the Spirit after another, teaching you this lesson and that lesson, and pressing this truth upon your heart and then that truth, teaching you on the mountaintop and teaching you in the valley through the twists and the turns of life, slowly but surely, Oh, but in our gullibility, we want it now, don't we? That's not God's way, like it or not. And then with children, there's also this love for novelty. Apollos is new. He's slick. He's eloquent. We like that. And so also children are drawn to whatever glimmers, whatever is brightest, Whatever the new is, never mind if it's good or bad, it's just new, and we like that. And consequently, children are subject to showmanship, and immature Christians are subject to showmanship. The better the show, the better the entertainment, the more they'll come. God wants more for you. Now, does God use entertainment? Does God use showmanship? Absolutely. Absolutely he does. But he doesn't want that to be the mark of the entirety of your discipleship. He may use that initially, sure. But we cannot afford to just be tossed here and there based on whatever happens to be new and flashy and sexy. He wants more for us. Those are the symptoms. A childish strife. So what is the remedy? Look at verse 5. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. The remedy is total surrender to God's will. Total surrender to God's will. Whatever he says, we will do. Wherever he says to go, we will go. And your spiritual maturity, your spiritual growth, Will not be determined by how much you know, but by how far you are willing to go in obedience to his command. To what he has already said, to what he has already revealed. Not to attain some new knowledge, but to immerse yourself in what he's already said and what he's already done. Total surrender. Notice he says, What, after all, is Apollos? What is Paul? Not who is Apollos or who is Paul. Because what he's pointing out is that they're servants. And what he's guarding against here is an overemphasis on God's servants, on leaders in the church, and an underemphasis on God's leaders. Making too much of them and making too little of them. How might we make too little of them? We might fail to recognize this is the means God uses he uses servants he uses the foolishness of someone like Dane Hadley standing behind a pulpit and telling you about God and pointing you to Jesus. And yet, if you go to chapter 4, this is what Paul says. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries of God as revealed that God has revealed stewards of the mysteries stewards of the mysteries but how might we make too much of them? Well, we fail to see that Paul, Apollos, Dane Hadley, we're just field hands. We're field hands. We answer to him. Those of you who have heard me preach for some time will know that I don't talk about myself very often, and there's a very simple reason for that. I think Jesus is a lot more interesting than I am, and I want you to know about him before you know anything about me. But today, I need to make this personal, because God did not call me to be a politician. He called me to be a pastor He called me to serve him, to be a shepherd over his flock. And that means I'm not after your vote. I'm not after your applause. I want nothing less than for Christ Jesus to be formed in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And these words of Paul resonate with me in his second letter to the Corinthians. Chapter 12, verse 15, he says, so I will very gladly spend everything for you, everything I have, and be spent. If I love you more, will you love me less? I will spend it all. I will gladly spend my heart, my soul, my life for you. And if I love you enough to tell you the truth, even when you don't want to hear the truth, will you love me less? Be that as it may, says Paul. My accountability is to the chief shepherd, to my master. I answer to him ultimately. And I fear his judgment more than I fear anyone else's. Can you say the same about your life and in whatever God has called you to do? Never forget the one who gives the growth. Yes, celebrate the variety of means that God uses, that he can use a Dane Hadley, he can use this pastor, he can use a Paul, he can use a Paulus, he can use a variety of means that he does to build up his church, to grow his church, to mature his people. never forget that God is the source. The pastor doesn't grow the church. I hope that's not a new revelation to you. We don't grow the church. Should we be faithful in planting seeds and watering and cultivating the soil? Absolutely. Absolutely. We cannot afford to do otherwise. But God gives the growth. God gives the growth. So remember whose you are. Look at the very end of verse 9. He says, for we are co-workers in God's service. We're not co-workers with God. We're not God's partners. We don't join hands with God. We submit. We are subordinate to Him. We serve Him. You are Whose field? Whose field is this? Not a rhetorical question. God's. God's. Whose church is this? God's. God's. This is his pulpit. This is his church. We are his people. Never forget who you are and whose you are. He is the potter. We are The clay. And so I ask you this question Is your life marked by total surrender or not? Or do you say, well, if they do it my way, I'll be there. If they don't, I won't. I'll take my toys and go play elsewhere. Or is your life marked by surrender? God's will be done, not mine. I have an opinion, I have preferences, yes, I'm, I'm only human, but I'm not just a human, I have the Holy Spirit, and I want to follow what the Spirit says before I listen to what I say, or what I think, or what someone else says. God will not measure your maturity, your spiritual maturity, by your age, by how long you've been in the church, by how much of the Bible you've memorized. It's not about anything you know. It is about how far you are willing to go in surrendering your life, your whole life, to his sovereign will. May your life be marked by surrender. May my life be marked by surrender. May Tabernacle Baptist Church be marked by surrender to his will, come what may. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, your word is so clear, sometimes even painfully clear, sometimes even terribly clear. And we acknowledge that we cannot fulfill it on our own. But we praise you that you have poured out your Holy Spirit upon your church, upon your people. And that if we walk in step with your Spirit, there will be the fruit of your Spirit. And I pray for anyone hearing this message who has received your spirit but who is acting like they don't have your spirit, who is following their own human inclinations and preferences. Lord, may this be a wake-up call. May they never be the same. May they grow and mature as you give the growth. And Lord, for anyone here who has yet to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ for the very first time. To trust that what Jesus did on the cross is fully sufficient to cover their sins. By your grace, Lord, may this be the day of salvation. And wherever we are on our journey, Lord, may we continually turn to you. May we continually depend upon you. May we continually rely upon your Holy Spirit to guide us to direct us, and to save us. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.